Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Beginning a new year, all of us together, there's always a refreshment, isn't there? There's always an excitement. And I think that's something God puts in all of our hearts. And there's good reason because God has great things in store for us. In just a moment, I want to share with you where we're going, the direction that we're taking as a church together. And it's going to be good. At all levels, it's going to be a great time, a great season for us. Have an announcement to make. Uh, we're expecting our third grandchild at the end of August. Ronnie and uh, Sarah are going to have their third baby. So we're excited about that. Yeah, that's going to be fun. As if Christmas already isn't busy with two. Now we have three. It'll be fun. I spent uh, this last week meeting with the different groups in our church, and I like to do that at the beginning of the year. It's uh, just a great opportunity. And a lot of those people that I get to, to connect with and spend time with are our young adults, uh, those that are in an internship program. I was at the center uh, just sharing what the year might look like, the, the vision that God has for us. When I was with the ID kids, those are our interns, they had a lot of questions prepared, and I had those questions. Some of those questions that were asked were not prepared. They were just spontaneous. One of them was, what was your silliest moment in ministry? Or, uh, in other words, what was the, the closest disaster or disastrous time you ever experienced in ministry? And I thought I'd never told you this before. I explained to them, can I, can I tell you the story? Uh, this, this, is, this, this is amazing. Um, we have a family in our church who I deeply love, and uh, they were attending here. The father of the family uh, was committed here on Saturday night, but he grew up Catholic, and he attended St. Patrick's Church on a Sunday. And so... Um, and, and, and so he, uh, he was a teacher here for 40 years in the Canby School Districts, uh, but he passed away, and, and we all uh, were deeply saddened by that. We spent time with the family. Uh, we understood that the memorial service was going to take place at St. Patrick's Church, that they had it all covered, uh, that what we would do is just do anything we could to provide help, support, meals, whatever. And so the Memorial Day rolled around. It was a Saturday afternoon. And I thought, I need to run over. And I want to see the family. I really love this family. I want to see the family. But I'm going to need to slip out to come to the Saturday night service that we had planned here. So I had gone to the memorial service, greeted the family, and I thought the best thing that I can do is go to the back and just stand and wait for the appropriate time and just slide out. And I wanted to be respectful, of course, but I needed to slide out. So I, I made my move. I, I went to the back. I stood in the back. The funeral procession started, and while I was standing back there, a kind usher greeted me, and he said, would you like, would you like a service order? And I said, Sure. So I grabbed it, I held it, I thought, I'll keep this. This is a, a, a good memorial, a good remembrance of, of James. And so I had that, and I was standing there, and I opened it, just happened to look at it before I headed out the door, and I went down the service order, and I noticed it said, Eulogy, Pastor Ron Swore. <laughs> With all the things that were going on, family members forgot to tell me that I was doing the eulogy. I scrambled, I really did, you can imagine. I don't want a disaster to take place here, and I want people to like me, not hate me. 
And so I sat in the back and I took that bulletin, I put it, turned it over, and I wrote the eulogy on the back of the bulletin. And then my time came, I got up, I shared, I gave a eulogy, and after it was all over, the family was so kind, so gracious, they said that was the best eulogy that they'd ever heard. <laughs> I didn't tell them until I think just a few months ago, maybe a year ago, that that I wasn't informed, and I made that up in about 15 minutes. His life was easy to do that with, though, so that was a blessing. He made it easy for me. Averted a huge disaster. I mean, can you imagine being at odds with the Protestants here and the Catholics over there? That would have been a big problem, and so uh, we made it. We made it through. These are the stories sometimes you don't get to hear, but I think I'm going to tell a few more often. I've been around a while. I can, can I tell you a few more of those? These are things that happen all the time. So we, have a, we really do have a great year in store. We're going to begin a study here on the weekend. We're going to study the Gospel of John together. And I'm looking forward to that. We're going to go through the Gospel of John all the way through past Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to take some time and study the book of Ephesus. There's reason, or book of Ephesians. The reason we want to do that is because John is the one that I think portrays the first love relationship of Jesus Christ and with Jesus more than anyone else. I mean, really, when you read what he has to say and how he sees Jesus, it is amazing. And so we want to talk about what he sees and, and what, what God is talking to him about and how he sees that relationship he has with Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians is the book that, that uh, John wrote to, really the words of Jesus saying, return to your first love. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, I believe, it's where John says, and he's quoting Jesus, he says, return to your first love. Well, the church of Ephesus was who he was writing to. I thought it'd be a good idea we took time and looked at that church and what was going on there and the dynamics of that particular church and, and that body, that, that local church that Paul was so in love with and John was in love with as well. We're also going to take time during the school of life. You've already heard we're going to study first, second, and third epistles of John. Our center, I found out, that's our young adult gathering, they're going to be studying the gospel of John as well. The ladies are going to be studying Crazy Heart. That's about your first love relationship, written by Francis Chan. You know, the theme that God has given us for this year, and the Lord is so gracious to do that. This is even more than a theme. This is a prophetic word. Return to your first love. You remember me explaining that to you a while back where we first heard it, and it just captured our hearts. It really blew us away. It was at our Foursquare convention. Francis Chan was speaking, and before he walked off the platform, he just looked at everyone and said, return to your first love. We knew right then that that's what God was telling us, and we really believe that's what God wants you to hear as well. So we're going to talk about that. And I think God has great direction in store for all of us. Let me tell you a little bit about John today. And you can have your bulletins. You can pull those out. There are a few notes that you might want to write down because it's important that we get to know the individual, the personality, even the background of the person who writes so passionately about Jesus Christ. Why was this guy so passionate about his relationship to Jesus Christ? Well, John lived an amazing life. In fact, he was the only disciple to die of natural causes at about the age of, scholars say, between 90 and 95 years old. God had given him a long life. The other disciples died the death of a martyr. And, and John just happened to live that long life because it was God's providence. It was his grace. And what really defined the life of John was his first love relationship with Jesus. 
He loved Jesus so much that his nicknames reflected that fact. Here are some of the phrases that were coined by those that saw John's life. John the Beloved. And the one that John liked the most, I really believe, is the one Jesus loved. In the Gospel of John, John never identifies himself. He never writes his name down in the Gospel. But he does say something about himself in describing who he was. This is the description he gives. The one Jesus loved. How would you like to be known by that phrase? The one Jesus loved. Now listen, Jesus loved all of his disciples. He loves all of us. But there are certain people and disciples that drew closer than others. John was one of those disciples that drew close to Jesus Christ. That he loved the heart of God. And then he wanted to spend time in the presence of God. John's names really tell us that he had a first love relationship with Jesus. I want to give you John's resume in his first love relationship with Jesus. First of all, he was the one who rested on Jesus during the Last Supper. You know the story that he he leaned on the heart, the breast of Jesus. And when you think about it, essentially what was he doing? He was listening to the heartbeat of God. That's how close he wanted to be. That's where he felt the safest. That's where he felt the most comfort there. It was right there next to Jesus. He was the only male disciple present at the cross, All the other disciples ran off. They took off to the hills. They were scared to death. Some had denied him. Some had just gone underground. They they were hiding. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus publicly. But not John. John and a few of the female disciples showed up at the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you just think about it, John was just a moment before, just a few hours before, leaning on the heart of God, listening to the heartbeat of God. And he was there to witness at the cross the heartbeat of God stop. He was the only disciple that was there to see all of this. John was the one that Jesus entrusted with the care of his mother. Imagine that. While Jesus was on the cross, he looked at John and he said, John, would you... Would you do something for me? Would you take care of my mom? Would you do that? Because in those days, there was no Social Security. There was no life insurance. There, there was no Medicare. There was none of that. And so that woman needed to be taken care of. And who do you entrust that with? I mean, you entrust that with someone you really love, someone you really know is responsible. Jesus entrusted that responsibility to John. John, take care of my mom. She needs somebody to take care of her. He, he was the first disciple to get to the tomb. I love the story. He and Peter are racing to the tomb. Peter is not so fleet of foot. And John runs right by him. He gets the, to the tomb. He looks inside. And the Bible also tells us that John was the first to believe that Jesus had risen from the grave. All the other disciples needed a little arm twisting. Uh, They needed a little more evidence. They they needed a little more time to let it all soak in. Not John. John saw, the Bible says, and he believed. What a heart. What What a man. This is a pretty impressive resume. John's calling to follow Jesus is also amazing. I look at and listen to Matthew chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Here's what it says. It says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. When you read this, you have to understand there's something very different about this particular calling. Different than the other callings in the New Testament. This calling is different because it mentions the name of a father. And that's interesting because you have to know who's writing this gospel. It's Matthew. Who's his audience? It's the Jews. He has a Jewish audience. He's writing to his brothers and sisters. And I'm going to say this. The, the Jews then and they are now, they're almost obsessed with genealogies. They're obsessed with names. And so whenever you see a name mentioned written by Matthew, you need to know that's somebody special. That's somebody the, the author wanted you to know about. And so in these two verses, the name of John's father's mentioned twice, Zebedee. I want you to know Zebedee. Did you know Zebedee was their father? Why, why would that be true? Why would that be stated here? I think there are a few reasons. Let me tell you a few that I, I think are true about this. One is that Zebedee obviously hold or held a prominent position in that community. That, that, that if you mentioned his name, people would have known who he was. In fact, he, he, he probably had a pretty prosperous business because all the other fishermen were sole proprietors, but not Zebedee. It appears that he had hired hands, including his two sons, but it also appears that he had other people, maybe even a, a fleet of boats. He was successful at what he did, and that was fishing. The other thing that we know is the high priest knew who he was. And I think one of the only ways the high priest would have known who this fisherman was was because he gave generously. <laughs> it's amazing. This man had influence. Zebedee had influence in his community and he had influence over those two boys. There's a phrase we coined a while back here. It's called the Zebedee effect. I don't know if you've ever heard us say that before, but I'm gonna say it again. Here you see the Zebedee effect in full bloom. Because he influenced a community and he influenced what we know as the sons of thunder, James and John. How do we know he influenced them to the degree he did? Well, here they are. They're working in this thriving business. Their life ahead of them is comfortable. It's secure because they're working with their father. They're successful businessmen. But Zebedee grew up his boys to know who the Messiah would be. You see, I, I'm sure as a good Jewish father, he would have sat down with them in the early mornings and, and in the evenings, and he would have talked to them and shared with them and taught out of the book of De Deuteronomy. He would have taught out of the major prophets and the minor prophets. He would have showed them and talked to them about the profile of the Messiah, and that when you would see him, not only with your eyes, but when you would see him with your heart, you will know who he is. And when you know who he is, Zebedee says to those boys, follow him. Follow him and keep following him. And what does it say here? It says they left their nets, their father, and they immediately followed him. You see, Zebedee brought those boys up right. They knew who the Messiah was. They knew who Jesus was, and that was because of their education. That was because of their training. That was because of the influence Zebedee had on his boys. It's interesting to me because, and I love this, the theme of fatherhood is never far from John's heart and actions. 
In the first epistle that he writes, he uses the phrase, my dear little children, or friend, nine times in four chapters. You see, Zebedee fathered James and John, but you have to carry it out a little further. Who did John influence? Well, we know he influenced a lot of people, but who did he bring up? Who did he raise in the faith? Well, who he raised in the faith isn't mentioned in the Bible, but church history is pretty sure about this. He raised up into the faith a man named, it's kind of a funny name, a man named Polycarp. See, Polycarp was the first generation after the disciples to follow Jesus Christ. He was a first generation church father. And he loved God with all of his heart. What had happened is John had passed that first love relationship on to Polycarp. How do we know that? We know that because at the moment that Polycarp was dying, he was a martyr as well. You see, the Romans had brought him in and they wanted him to recant. They wanted him to recant his relationship with Jesus Christ. And while he's standing there before this audience with kindling all around him because they're going to burn him at the stake, the Romans say to him, you need to recant. You're an atheist. You see, in Roman faith and, and, and their religion, they believed if you didn't believe in many gods, you were an atheist. You know what Polycarp does? He responds this way. He points his finger at those that are accusing him, and he said, you're the atheist. Imagine that. You're about to be burned at the stake, and, and you're so bold. And they said, recant. His response was this. He says, I cannot, for my Lord has been faithful to me for years and years, and I will not deny him now. They lit the fire, and you know what he was doing at the end of his life? He was singing a hymn, an in, just an intimate relationship with the Lord. You see, John had passed something on. John had influenced that man in such a way that even in his dying breath, that first love relationship was evident. You know, John was really... In my mind, in my heart, he was a keeper of the first love relationship. You know, he had a front row seat in some pretty amazing things, didn't he? Because Jesus chose to bring a few guys along with him every now and again. Those few guys were Peter, James, and John. It was Peter, James, and John that had a front row seat in the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. <laughs> That's amazing. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verse Verse 37. For whatever reason, Jesus wanted those three, just those three, to see what was going on. He had a front row seat in the transfiguration of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. <laughs> Standing there and seeing all of this happen, Peter said, let's build tabernacles. I, I'm thinking John just is dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to say because he's so overwhelmed by the presence of God. But I think my favorite of all the things that John recorded is John is the only gospel writer to record the restoration of Peter to Jesus in John chapter 21. A significant encounter. Why is he the only one that writes this? I have a, I have a reason why. I, I, I think I have a reason why. But if you remember this particular conversation, Jesus had made them breakfast it was after Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter was on unsure ground in his relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus wanted to make sure that everything was okay before he left. 
So he brings these boys together. He brings these young men together and he picks out Peter to have a conversation with. A conversation, again, that only John records. And I think the reason John recorded it was because of one, one word that Jesus used in that conversation. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you, do you love me? Translated, it's Peter, do you agape me? I think that's the word that got John's attention. <laughs> I think that's the word that captured his heart and his mind at that moment. And he said, I don't want to miss this. I'm going to write everything that happens right here because that word's being used. The word that's in my heart, the word that affects my life is that first love relationship. Agape is just the deepest kind of love that you can have. It's a love that described the relationship between John and Jesus. Peter hadn't gotten it yet. But I know that John wanted him to get it. So he's writing this and he's, he's probably thinking, Peter, please answer, yes, I agape you, Lord. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. And then Jesus asked the question again, Peter, do, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to get to that agape love, but I'm not there yet. And I'm sure John's rooting him on because he and Peter were pretty good buddies. You can see that in the book of Acts. And he said, oh, Peter, I want you to have what I have. Do you love me? Do you agape me? He never really gets there, at least not in John chapter 21. We know later in his life he gets there. Peter arrives at that place, and I'm sure that John made Peter his project. <laughs> John is saying, Peter, I'm going to hang out with you until you get this, because in the book of Acts, you see them in different places, spending time together, jail being one of those places. John's ministry in his first love relationship with Jesus Christ, I think, can be captured in just a few words. This is what I would consider John's theme for ministry. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Simply stated, what John is saying is Jesus is God. There's no question about it. Jesus is God in the flesh. He says so much in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says it this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is extremely jealous over this truth. He's the guardian of this truth. Why? Because he has that first love relationship and he wants people to know this. He wants people to know that he was an eyewitness, that he was somebody that heard, that somebody that, that touched, somebody that interacted with God. He wants people to know that. Why is he so adamant about this? Well, it's because he experienced it himself. 
But he also knew there was a, a heresy going on in the church. Nowadays we call it Gnosticism. It's kind of complicated, but in short form it just simply means this. You get to those heavenly places, their definition of whatever heaven is, you get there by how much you know. You get there by how much you can, you can attain knowledge. And they believe that, that the flesh, that physical things were, were inherently evil. So how could God actually come and be in the flesh? That Jesus was a good person and he was the closest thing to God that you could get on planet earth. But he really wasn't God. That's what they taught. And John hears this teaching. He hears his little children in the faith hearing this and some of them believing it. And he stands up and he says, no, it's an absolute heresy. It's not the truth. The truth is Jesus is the son of God. It's a truth that we need to hear today. There are lies and heresies that are being perpetuated in the body of Christ today. You need to know this. You need to know from the heart of John. You need to know from the heart of the pastors here and all of us. Jesus is the Son of God. Fully the Son of God. And we believe that with all of our heart. John is telling us that he wants to see Jesus supreme in every part of our life. And that's what first love relationship really is all about. That's why I think this prophetic theme is so important to us today. Of all the people that we can study, to me it's John. John's telling us something. Again, let Jesus be supreme in all areas of your life. I think you've probably heard me pray this way, especially leading people to Jesus. One of the phrases I use is, let Jesus come into your heart. Let your heart be his home. I thought about that the last few days. Let your heart be his home. Every part of your heart be his home. And so I imagine something, and I want to share to you what I imagined the last few days. Imagine your heart is his home. You've let him in. And he wants to get into every room in your heart, every room in your home. First now is your study. He wants to go to your study. You know why he wants to go there? That's your mind. That's the place that controls the house. And he wants your mind, the Bible says, to be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let Jesus into your mind. Let him take away those attitudes that stand in the way of relationships. The relationships that you have here on planet earth. The relationship you have with God. Let him make those attitudes right. Let him sanctify your thinking so that when you read the word of God, things stand out at you that change you, that transform you. It's the word of God that changes the way you think. But let Jesus into your mind. Let him into the study of your heart. The second room is the dining room. The room of appetites and desires. How much time do we spend trying to satisfy our wants? Because when you calculate that, when you figure that out in the course of a day, it will probably tell you, at least give you a, 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 a litmus test of where you stand in that first love relationship. Because I know I catch myself striving for the things that I want. 
To see my desires fulfilled. We strive to manipulate our circumstances to get what we want. We strive to manipulate even relationships to get what we want. Those are our appetites. Those are our desires that God says, I want to change those desires. Give me the dining room of your heart and seek food that will last because the food of your desires and worldly appetites will fade away. The food that will last is the living word. That will last. You can always go there. The psalmist says, taste and and, and see that the Lord is good. And so the Lord says in this first love relationship, he wants you to give him the dining room of your heart. And then the third room is the living room. A place that is comfortable, a place that's quiet. A place that you can meet Jesus. And I want to say this. Jesus will always meet you there. In fact, he's there right now. The question is, is are you there? Do you show up into that place of relationship with him in the morning, in the evening? Do you take time to read God's word? This is the beginning of the year and we always, we always sponsor this, we support this. Get involved with a devotional. We, we're reading through the Bible. I have, uh, I have my chart that I'm reading through the Bible. We have reading through the Bible for you that do better than I. You read through the Bible in a year. And you all know this. It's no secret. I'm a slow reader, so I go a year and a half, maybe two. But this I know. I know that when I read the Word of God, there's something that changes in my heart. That's where God really wants to meet me. Take time and read through the Word of God. Set time aside. We have these things available. They're on They're online now. You can go right to your computer and find Bible readings that will really help you in the living room of your heart. Read the word of God. And then secondly, or excuse me, the fourth room is the work room. (laughs) This is the place where you serve. And this is the place that you need to ask Jesus to give you strength every day. The Bible says this, and I've said it before. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. It's Jesus alive in you. That affects other people. That influences other people. And one of the best ways. I think one of the most effective ways. To, to, to serve or to help other people. Is to serve other people. But you need the strength of God. And that's what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says. Before Jesus left this earth. He says listen I, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can be my witnesses. So that you can serve me. In a dynamic miraculous way. Ask God to give you strength this coming year. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit when you wake up in the morning. Follow the request of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And then the fifth room is the recreation room. This is one we don't think about too often. It's a place where we have fun and friendship Christians, a lot of times, including myself, we've done this. We've kind of compartmentalized. We say, well, this is a room I'll take care of. This is a room that I don't think Jesus knows how to manage because I don't think he knows how to have fun. Listen, God invented fun. You just need to know what he's thinking about it. And I'll tell you this, you're going to have a blast. You're going to have the most fun. You're going to have the best friendships. You're going to have the most exciting life. There's nothing sacrilegious by saying that Jesus wants you to have fun. 
He wants you to have a, a good time. People have asked me, what do you like the most about pastoring? And I say, I have fun. And they almost think that, you know, when you're with other pastors, it gets kind of stuffy. You mean fun? I said, yeah, it's okay. Just let your hair down. Just do a little jig. You know, loosen up. It'll help you. The last room that I put here is not on your bulletin because I didn't think about it until the other day after we had this all printed up. And I don't even know if you can classify it as a room, but it is a, a space in your house, your closet. The closet is the room you hide all your stuff in. All the stuff you don't want anyone else to see. Yeah, I have some drawers and closets at our house. When you come into our house, it looks nice, but you'll walk in and you, if you start opening drawers and closets, it, things will fall out and hit you. <laughs> There's stuff in there. I, I don't know. Where, where did this come from? Things that I lost 10 years ago, I found in a I did the other day. I found something. I said, I couldn't find this. It was in a drawer. One of those drawers. You know what we need to do is we need to let those drawers be opened by the Lord. Let him go in. Let him organize that. Let him organize the closet of your heart. Confess. Tell him, Lord, these are the places that, that I hide. These are the things that I don't want anyone to know about. But I want you to know about them because I want to have a first love relationship with you. And I don't really want anything to get in the way. I was so compelled. My, my wife thought I was off my rocker. This last two or three weeks, I've just been going nuts trying to get everything clean and organized. My closet, my study. I mean, I mean full-blown, full-blown, nutso stuff. You know, just grabbing stuff and throwing stuff. What are you throwing away? She said, what are you throwing away? I said, I don't know. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I said, I can only wear so many clothes. I got to get rid of some of these. So I went through and cleaned up. You know why? This is the way I feel. I get it all set up and organized, and it feels like I can go. I can move now. I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to wonder about things. I think that's true when you let Jesus clean the closets of your heart. He's given you a, a go-ahead. When, when you let him do that, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to wonder because he's been there. You've given him access to the closet of your heart. I want to read to you a word that I think is a word that will encourage all of us today. It's out of Ezekiel chapter 36. It's verses 24 through 28. It's a word that the prophet had written, the prophet Ezekiel, to the children of Israel inspired by God. It says this, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your gods and idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Ezekiel describes for all of us here the Old Testament version of a first love relationship. 
God's asking us to live this way. He's calling you to live this way. What I'm going to ask that we do right now is just bow our heads just for a moment, if you would. I want to take some time and think about what has been said this morning. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward if they would. The other team that I want to invite to take their places is our prayer teams. The reason I'm doing this this morning is we're going to continue to worship like we do. But as we worship the Lord, during a time of worship, if the Lord would tug at your heart, would prompt you or lead you to go receive prayer, then you go ahead and do that. Our prayer teams will just be stationed around this sanctuary and you can just go to one and just pray. Maybe there's a particular room in your heart that you need God to take care of. It's a room that stands in the way of that first love relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the closet. Maybe it's the dining room. Maybe it's the living room. That's something that's between you and God. But as we worship the Lord, I want you to feel free to stand up and go receive prayer. This this is the time to do it. This is why we've set these moments aside. As we continue to worship the Lord, you can stand, you can be seated, you can kneel, you can lift your hands. You can come forward and kneel. And again, you can go to a prayer team as well. But we are going to take this time and respond to the Word of God. Being more than just hearers of the Word, we're compelled to be doers of the Word as well. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you today for the awesome way that you take care of us and love us. Thank you for the models that you've given us in your word. And Lord, especially today, we just thank you for the life and the ministry of the Apostle John who gave us direction to follow you. He didn't bring attention to himself. He didn't talk about himself. He talked about you. Everything that he said, everything that he did was about you, about following you. And one of the words that he repeated over and over again was the word believe. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today in this room, let our hearts believe. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us in this new year. Lord, I just pray for those that may not know you today, that they would believe, that they would respond like John did when he saw that empty tomb It says he was the first to believe. Let us have that same heart. Lord, we give you access to all these rooms of our life. Come on in. And you can do business with us. We commit our time to you, our energy to you. We desire this year to focus on that first love relationship. To get our priorities straight. With you, with family, with friends. Help us do that. We know that you give us strength, so fill us now with your Holy Spirit as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of us say together, amen and amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff 
Along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.